as you remain standing, let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? One of the glories of God is the simple truth that He is God and there is no other. That He is God and we are not. Because of that, we mere mortals will never be able to plumb the depths of His greatness or His goodness, His beauty of of who He is. We'll never get to the bottom of that well. And so, no matter how long we have known him and how long we've loved him, God will continue to surprise us. His work, as the saying goes, is in mysterious ways. And there is great joy in that when when God works in a way that we could never have imagined or never would have predicted beforehand. Peter's encounter with the Gentile Cornelius is one of these surprising moments. Not only for Peter, but at that point in history, for the entire Christian church. And make no mistake, it is a joyful surprise. You see, Peter did not imagine that the grace of Jesus Christ extends as far as it does. And the truly wonderful thing about this moment is how it reveals the fullness of God's plan from the beginning. This moment is not God doing a brand new thing. It's not charting a new course. It's not like he suddenly changed his mind and said, yeah, you know what, we'll let the Gentiles in. Rather, he is revealing his purposes and his character that have been the same from the beginning. And it's really quite perfect that Peter is the one to go to Cornelius the Gentile, the first Gentile believer. After all, it was Peter who preached on Pentecost and saw the faith of so many Jewish people kindled there. It was Peter who arrived at Samaria and prayed for the longtime enemies of the Jews, the Samaritans, and saw the Holy Spirit come upon them in power, bringing together Jew and Samaritan Christians. And so sure enough, it is Peter who is sent to the house of a Gentile to announce in a powerful way the surprising work that God invites all kinds of people into his kingdom. It had always been God's plan to do so. Peter and so many others just needed a little reminder. And so as we dive into this surprising moment for Peter and for the church, we actually want to start not so much with the surprise itself, but the way that God communicates to people, the way he reveals himself, his plan to people, that God speaks to his people and then speaks through his people. And he does so in order that when he does the unexpected, we will recognize what he is doing and how it fits with who he is. So how does God communicate to Peter what it is that he's going to do? Well, verse 9 tells us that Peter has been praying. 
As he's praying, he gets hungry. Turns out it's not quite time to eat for Peter yet because he falls into a trance and he has shown a startling vision. In this vision, what appears to be a sheet descends from heaven filled with all kinds of animals and he is instructed to kill and eat. Now for a devout Jewish person, this not only would have been odd, (laughs) but very distressing. Jewish people kept strict dietary laws. In this, this sheet that contained animals, it would have had both those that were clean or that Peter would have been allowed to eat and those that are unclean, those that he was supposed to stay away from. And so as any devout Jew of his time would have, he says no. He says, I have not eaten anything that is common or unclean. He couldn't imagine doing so. As Peter has grown well accustomed to at this point in his life, he is then rebuked. What God has made clean, do not call common, the voice responds. In this moment, this voice from heaven is showing Peter that it is God who decides what is clean or unclean. It is a truth that he will need to hold on to that will become very important in the near future. And yet, in this exact moment, Peter's confused. We're told in verse 17 that he was perplexed. He doesn't really know what to do with this this vision that he has seen. He doesn't know what it means or what he should do with it. It's how we can feel sometimes when we think about the way that the Lord speaks, isn't it? We can think of accounts like this or think of moments in our lives and come to the conclusion that the Lord speaks in ways that are completely nonsensical. They just don't make any sense to us at all. The Lord, after all, works in mysterious ways. But I would argue, actually, that at this moment, God is speaking to Peter in a way that he can understand. That he is using something that is relatable to Peter. In this case, the Jewish dietary laws. He's using this to communicate something greater than what Peter is initially seeing. He's communicating something about himself and what he has done. You see, the sharp distinction between clean and unclean food places a a vivid image in Peter's mind so that when it, it is the right time, when that exact time comes, Peter's eyes will be opened. He will remember this vision and it will start to make sense. You see, just because we don't immediately understand what the Lord is communicating, it doesn't mean that He is speaking in ways that we cannot understand. Just as when a teacher explains proper grammar rules to a student or how fractions work, Most of us, at least, myself certainly, don't really get it at first. It doesn't make any sense to us until we get to put our hands on it. We get to write out that sentence and, in my case, mess it up over and over again. (laughs) 
We just haven't absorbed it yet. The problem's not with with the teacher and, and what they're communicating, at least most of the time. It's that we haven't taken it in. So it is with God when he communicates something about who he is. Often we hear it and we don't really... We don't really take it in. We don't grasp it. We don't fully understand what it is that he is trying to communicate to us until we have the moment to to live out the value, so to speak, to see it in action. It's difficult for us to understand that that love is actually a self-sacrificing thing instead of a self-serving thing if we've never been asked to sacrifice before. And yet when that moment comes for us to sacrifice, suddenly it makes sense. God's heart for the poor doesn't really make a lot of sense. If you've grown up in very wealthy areas, maybe even gated communities, why doesn't God say anything positive to me, we might wonder. But then we see the struggles of the poor and our hearts are moved. It makes sense to us. We just couldn't quite get it at the time. The problem is not God's ability to communicate, but rather our ability to see what he is trying to communicate. And so to fix this, the Lord will often use things that connect with us, things that we can recognize so that when we need that truth of God, it'll become clear to us. We'll know how to live, how to act. That's what's happening for Peter. Just as Peter is trying to figure out what these animals mean and why God is suddenly calling these ones clean, while some men walk in, sent from Cornelius, and the Spirit tells Peter to go with them. Go with these Gentiles to the house of a Gentile. Suddenly the light bulb starts to flicker a bit. You see, the Lord had to communicate something to Peter in advance here because even going with these Gentile men would have been a challenge for a devout Jewish person. And then to enter the house of a Gentile, that just was not done. The Gentiles at this time were viewed as unclean dogs. And just entering into their house would have been enough to make Peter himself ritually unclean, unable to enter the temple. What was it the voice from heaven said again? Call nothing common, call nothing unclean, which the Lord has made clean. The light bulb starts to flicker more. It's not quite on all the way yet, but it's getting there. Is that what this has really been about, Peter might begin to wonder, that it it wasn't really so much about food at all, but, but about the gospel, about people, about what Jesus has done, about what Jesus does for all who come to him by faith, that he he cleanses them from their sin. They're no longer unclean because God has declared them clean. Is that what this has been about? Has Jesus done this even for Gentiles? What seemed a confusing vision just moments ago suddenly becomes clear just when Peter needs it to be.
Because the Lord used something that Peter could relate to, he was able to communicate a greater truth about who he is and how he works. You ever have one of those moments in your life? You speak to someone or you happen to bump into someone and you have a conversation and suddenly it comes to mind? Gosh, that's what I've been praying about for weeks. Well, I didn't really expect it to happen in that way. (laughs) Or that moment where maybe you hear something on the, the radio, on the internet, and suddenly it's like that Bible passage that made no sense at all to me now is perfectly clear. I know I've had moments like that. Usually I can't figure out what they were until years later. I've told some of you before that it was the, the, what the Lord used to draw me to him at first was baseball, of all things. Baseball was religion in my house growing up. It, it was a massive idol in my life, and we were playing in a provincial championship tournament. My, my parents had been bugging me to go to church, as you know those parents do. And finally I said, all right, fine, I'll go. Because in my mind I was thinking, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for a win. We're in the semifinals, we're playing a hard team that we battled with all year, I'm going to go, what's the worst that could happen? I'll pray for a win, my parents are happy I went to church, win, win. Well, guess what happened? We did not win. (laughs) We got beat like I have never been beat before. If it wasn't for the Lord working through that, I'd be totally embarrassed by that game. It wasn't until years later that I would realize what part of what the Lord was teaching me in that moment. It's a lesson that I would need over and over and over again. Turns out that God is not a genie in a lamp. That he doesn't just bend to whatever we want him to do. And I've got to tell you, that is something I've needed to lean on, especially in really difficult moments in my life. And he used a baseball game and us getting obliterated (laughs) to teach me that. It was a moment of connection where I could learn something about him. It's what the Lord is doing for Peter here. Verse 34, he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. He's learning something about the nature of God, of how he works. He continues, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The Lord is telling him, it's not about who you were that makes you fit to receive Jesus. And the Lord did it by using something that seemed totally confusing. The purpose of the vision was not at all clear to Peter, but sure enough, just when he needed it, the Lord opens his eyes. It's how our Father speaks to his children in ways that might not be clear right away, but can be known when we need them to be. Now, as great as it is to have the Lord speak, and it is, it's wonderful, he does not speak simply for our benefit, but rather So that we who know the Lord might speak of him who don't. We might speak to those who don't know him. He speaks to us 
so that he might then speak through us. That's what he does with Peter, isn't it? He spoke to Peter so that Peter could then go and speak to this group of Gentiles exactly what the Lord had shown him to speak. After Peter has his vision, he goes to Cornelius' house. That in itself a minor miracle. And he does so to preach the gospel. In verse 33, Cornelius says to Peter, We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so what is it that God leads Peter to say about him? Well, it culminates in verse 42. Where Peter, speaking of Jesus, says this, He commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Now, why would I point to that, right? We hear judgment and think, nope, nope, don't want to hear about that. Why would we point to this? Well, because in telling Cornelius this, Peter is communicating what God wants him to know, that Jesus is coming and upon him rests all of our fates. That Jesus is the most important man to have ever lived, and so we better know about him. Everything hangs upon him, on faith in him. God spoke to Peter so that Peter might go to these Gentiles and speak about Jesus. It is why our Lord speaks to us, friends. Sometimes it's through prayers and sometimes it's through visions. Yes, most commonly it is through his word, the Bible. He speaks to us so that we might take the gospel, what he has shown us about the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ, and we might bring it to those who need him. It is the truth that any evangelism must be grounded in, that God desires to be known and so he speaks And he speaks so that his people, in turn, might bring the gospel to all nations, all people. The church of Jesus Christ must have these truths deep within us, because the truth is God does still surprise us, doesn't he? He still works in ways that we never would have expected. And because of that, we can sometimes get a little bit off course. We can sometimes come up with a new idea and we think it's of the Lord that he's giving us some sort of new deep revelation or showing us a a different path forward. That's what some conclude from this passage with Cornelius. After all, they say, the Gentiles have never been a part of God's plan before, right? Clearly, God is pivoting to a new plan, right? No. No, not at all. Not at all. The Lord does not change, friends. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is what the Bible teaches us, isn't it? And so when he speaks, it is not a new revelation that he is giving us. Rather, it is confirming what he has always intended. In this case, that it was his design that all nations would be invited into his kingdom. All tongues, all races, men, women, Jew, Gentile, it does not matter. All invited into his kingdom. He did not choose Abraham so that only the biological descendants of Abraham might be saved. 
He tells Abraham that explicitly in Genesis 22. Yes, all the way back in Genesis, the plan is made clear when he says, In your offspring, Abraham, shall all nations of the world, all nations of the world be blessed. God chose the people of Israel not for their exclusive benefit, but so that the outsiders might see the glory of God through them and desire to come in. The writings, the prophets, all of it bear witness to God's desire to be known by all the world. Jesus himself stated it. He commanded his church to go out to all nations and make disciples. The same purpose purpose for which he chose Israel to be the light that shines upon God himself that those who are outside might see his glory and desire to know him. It is the same plan. That is what Peter's vision is telling him. At one time, the Jewish people believed that the Gentiles were unclean outsiders, unfit and unworthy of knowing God. But God through Jesus Christ, has pronounced all those who were unclean, clean. In Jesus, all people have their sins atoned for. They are no longer unclean, but have been covered with his righteous robes. All who have faith in him. It does not matter who you were before. It matters who you are in him. The gospel that Peter knows so well and has preached so effectively over and over again, it can still surprise even him. And to confirm it, the Lord pours his spirit upon these Gentiles who seemingly have done nothing at all to be worthy of it. They haven't followed the law. They didn't get circumcised before it happened. They didn't say a word. And yet the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And so what further proof is needed? Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, Peter says? Just as we have. It's the point. It's finally setting in for Peter. They can receive just as we have. The Lord has spoken to Peter and now Peter has shared the Lord's salvation plan and the gospel comes in power to a group that he never would have predicted or chosen. And those who are with Peter are amazed by it. It's what the passage tells us. Even the Gentiles can be saved by Jesus. Our temptation is to look at such an acclamation and kind of think, well, of course they can. Praise God for, I'm assuming, 100% of us in this room, as we ourselves are Gentiles. I could be wrong on that. I don't know all of you that way. Of course they can be saved, we'd say. We want to kind of chuckle at this group who would think otherwise. And that's when the Holy Spirit starts doing a work on us, isn't it? Suddenly a group comes to mind that perhaps we've seen the same way. 
maybe an individual rather than a group. Someone or some group of people that we, for whatever reason, have decided that the grace of Jesus Christ could never have an impact on. Maybe that person who is so loud and proud about voting in exactly the wrong way. Or maybe our Mormon or Muslim or atheist neighbor. Maybe that person in your office or in your social group that has a way of looking at the world that you couldn't even begin to relate to. Well, it turns out that Jesus came for them too. They need the gospel as much as we do. Who would be that person or that group that we would be amazed to see the Holy Spirit fall upon? And why for a moment would we doubt that that could happen? We see it here, don't we? The eternal truth that surprised Peter and his companions in this moment is that the offer of the gospel stretches to every corner of the earth. It's why God spoke and why he empowers us to speak. It's the conviction we must hold on to. That the gospel is for anyone who would receive it. Even that neighbor we don't really want to talk to very much. And so that being the case, friends, when the Lord speaks, we are called to humbly submit to him. Peter was surprised in this moment, without question, and yet he heard the word of God and he submitted faithfully to it. For the believer, that is often the pattern, isn't it? The Lord speaks, we're convicted of something. We're called to humble ourselves before him. While the same is true for the non-believer. And when the Lord speaks, he calls them to the same humble submission. He calls us all to submit to him and have our lives conformed to him. For as Peter said, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. To fear him is to believe in him, to follow him in faith. To do what is right is to be conformed by his spirit, to live in the way that he would have us live. It's what he calls all of us to, no matter who we, heard, who we were before he called. The Lord speaks to his church so that we can speak the gospel so that the world might hear of Jesus and humbly submit to him. He shows no partiality. It is not for us to decide who is worthy and who is not of hearing the good news of Jesus. We are to make him known. For the promise is for us and for our children and for all who are far off, said Peter. All whom the Lord calls to himself. Friends, the Lord has spoken. And so we must speak of him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.